Good morning. Today we're learning Parashat Shemini. Parashat Shemini is, uh, starts off being on the eighth day of what our sages explained to us is the eighth day of the Miluim, of the eighth day of an inaugural. Uh, uh, every day they were going through a process to inaugurate the Mishkan. The Mishkan, according to our tradition, according to one opinion, it was inaugurated on the first day of the month of Nisan. And that first day in the month of Nisan is when the it was the kickoff day, the opening day of the Mishkan. We've been studying about the Mishkan for how many parashiyot now? When we started collecting the funds and everyone was donating and people were doing the work, etc., etc. Now, the Mishkan is finally opened on the first day in the month of Nisan. But leading up to that, they had eight days or, yeah, eight days of miluim, of like celebratory inaugural processes. Now it's the eighth day. And on the eighth day, it's the first of the month of Nisan the Mishkan opens. It's a very special day. Uh, we left Egypt on the 15th day of the month of Nisan. And then the following year, in the first of the month of Nisan, which is a full year minus two weeks, the Mishkan opens. And this week's parasha talks about that day. It's really it's really very beautiful. Uh, the Torah tells us that um, there's very specific uh, uh, mitzvot, korbanot, that were brought on this day by itself, offerings specific to this day. But then there were offerings that they were that are supposed to be brought every day, and today is the first day, and so all of the laws begin, and so everything that was supposed to be brought begins on this day. So I want to uh, today. What I'd like to do is I'd like to share the screen and go through some of the psukim on the screen because there's a there's a section of the Torah that uh, there's many opinions about what exactly occurred, and I'll explain. What happens is on this day there were five kohanim. The first, the kohen gadol, the high priest, his name was Aharon. Aaron, Aharon HaKohen, was the high priest. Aharon HaKohen had four sons. Uh, we have the four sons of Aharon. They're all acting as Kohanim. So you have five Kohanim doing the service in the Beit HaMikdash. On this very special, unique day, it's a very celebratory day. We've been building up for this moment. Finally, the Mishkan is open. The Kohen, Aharon, Aharon HaKohen, the head priest and his four sons are the ones doing the service now. Okay, so what I'd like to do is I'd like to share the screen because um, let me let me go ahead and okay, I I believe you you're able to see the screen now. If someone can please confirm while I begin. So this is what the Torah tells us. As he's doing this service, as the Kohen is doing the service, this Aaron lifts his hands toward the people, and he blesses them. And he then is done with all of his services of, of bringing all of the sacrifices. This is the mitzvah of Berkat Kohanim. We do Berkat Kohanim, and we'll speak about this. We do Berkat Kohanim in our Batek and as part of the prayers, in our synagogues as part of the prayers. And we, we um, have it attached in our tefillot. But you could see that on this first day that the Mishkan was open, Rikat Kohanim was attached to the service in the Mishkan. Moshe and Aaron come. They bless the people. And then this line 24 says, A fire comes out from heaven, from God, and it consumes the sacrifices. And so that is a view, the way the people view that as their sacrifices have been accepted from God, 
Everyone sees it. Everyone saw what happened. They were excited. They were singing. They were happy. And they fall to their faces to show respect to what they believe is now seeing God's presence. It's a very special moment. For them, they see that all of this hard work that we're putting in, we see that it's accepted. This is where the section begins. And I'll, I'll uh, preface this by saying, so two of Aharon's sons die on this day in the middle of the service, two of his sons. And we're going to, we're going to see that it's not so clear what they did. There are, I'm going to quote five opinions as to what the two sons of Aharon did. And because of that, they died. Okay, we're going to read this inside today so that this way we can see what those five, where those five opinions are coming from. The text is somewhat ambiguous. Nadav and Avihu, the two sons of Aharon, each one, each one took a, a fire pan. You could imagine a fire pan is like, let's say, a, a pan that you would cook an omelet in, but it was a special one that they would bring incense offering on it. And they put fire on it. And on the pan that they put fire on, they also put the spices, incense, and they offered it. In front of God, Esh Zara, a foreign fire, an alien fire, fire that's uh, a strange, stranger fire, if you will. Asher lo tziva otam, that they were not commanded to bring. A fire came out from in front of God, and consumed them, and they died in front of God. What exactly they did, like I said, there's five opinions, and we're going to see how they're all coming from the text. But before, before I give those five opinions, I want to just mention two more lines, and then we'll get, get through it. So Moshe tells Aharon, This is what God meant when he said that I will sanctify myself, I will be sanctified, and I'll be elevated through those who are closest to me. And I will gain glory before all of the people through people who are the of highest. Aharon was silent, which means Moshe is almost giving some words of consolation uh, to console Aharon for the loss of his sons by saying, uh, "This is what God meant when He said that He will become sanctified and elevated, if you will, or, or sanctified uh, through those that are closest to Him." Okay. Let's go through the different opinions as to what they did. Just, uh, I, you know, let me just jump one more section. After we read this whole section, this line eight is important. Line eight and line nine. What does it say in line eight and line nine? God spoke to Aaron, to Aaron saying, Don't drink wine or any other intoxicating beverage. Do not drink wine or intoxicating beverage. You and your sons, when you come into the, the tent of meeting in the Mishkan, so that, so that you don't die. This is a law that you have to have always forever. Don't drink wine and then go do the service. Because if you drink wine and do the service, you'll die. Okay, so with that background, we now can go through the five opinions as to what Aaron's two sons did on opening day in the Mishkan, that they had died. Again, I'm going to read, read you and we'll see each word. So one opinion says that you know what the problem was? The problem with uh, what Aaron's sons did was that 
They brought an, Afro, an offering with a foreign fire. They struck a match and added a fire. There was nothing wrong with the offering that they brought. The only issue was that the fire should not have come from like striking a match or a lighter or a foreign fire. It should have come from the fire of the Mizbeach. So when it says, uh, they brought in front of God an alien fire, a foreign fire, meaning the one that they that they brought for themselves, that was their problem. So problem number, opinion number one, what they did wrong was they added the fire from a foreign fire. It should have been from the fire of the Mishkan. The, as we already said, there was a fire in the in, on the altar that was consuming all of the offerings. They, For whatever reason, they brought the wrong fire. And for whatever reason, that meant that they were not following instructions and they died. That's one. Another opinion. Uh, what they had done was completely okay. They got the correct fire and they had what they brought with the offering was completely fine. You know what the problem was? The problem was that they brought it in front of God. The term uh, means in the holiest of holies, in the Kodesh HaKodashim, in a room that no one else is allowed to enter except for the Kohen Gadol. Only Aaron is allowed to enter the room of the, of the Kodesh HaKodashim. Only Aharon, and only on Yom Kippur, which we're going to see in the upcoming parashiot, parashat Achremot. Meaning not even Aharon was allowed into the Kodesh HaKodashim, except for on a specific day to do a specific offering. The sons of Aaron are not the Kohen Gadol, they're not the high priest, they're not allowed to. So there was no issue with the fire and the, the incense offering. The offering wasn't the issue. The issue was that they brought it, that they brought it in front of God. So that was answer number two. Answer number two, what they did wrong was that they took it into the Mishkan. Okay? The, so now we see these are uh, two answers. A third answer it says um, what the issue was, was that everything that they did was completely fine. They didn't, it wasn't an issue of a foreign fire. It wasn't an issue of them going to the Kodesh Kodashim. The issue was everything that they did was completely okay. The only issue was that they were not commanded to bring it. They came up with this on their own. On their, in their own uh, logic, they said, you know what? Let's bring an additional fire. This is not on the list. This is what the Torah says. That Asher Lotzivaotam, that they were not commanded to bring. This what they did wrong here was that they decided to come up with their own offering. When you're in the Mishkan of God, the, the, the temple of God, there are rules of how to bring offerings, of when to bring them, and who should bring them and what they should be. You can't go rogue, if you will. They had good intentions. It's not like they were doing something. Uh, for no reason, they were doing it because they felt like it's an incense offering, it's beautiful, that has a nice smell. But there was a whole list of things that they had to do that day, and this was not on it. So they decided to bring this themselves. Okay, so that's a third answer I explained from this line. So again, you could focus on the word that says Lifne Adonai in front of God. That means the Lifne Adonai, that opinion that focuses on that, says the issue was that they went in front of God, i.e., into the Holy of Holies, into the Kodesh of Hashem. So where they went was a problem. The next opinion focuses on the words Esh Zara, a foreign fire. And they say the issue with what they did was that they brought a fire by striking a match, if you will, but not from the altar. And that was a problem. The problem was the fire. The next opinion uh, focuses on the words that it says that they were not commanded to bring. 
So it wasn't an issue of where they went or how they brought the fire. It was an issue of the fact that they even brought this thing they weren't commanded to. Fourth opinion, I'll tell you, focuses on the word otam. It says they were, otam, how God did not command them. Them is plural, meaning Moshe was commanded to do this. But Moshe had not yet told them to do, told these two boys, Nadav and Avihu, to do it. And what they did was they took action uh, into their own hands. And in fact, our sages elaborate on this. And they elaborate, and these boys, Nadav and Avihu, it seems like they, the way that our sages explain is like they said something like, when is, when is this old man going to die so that we could take over? Like, at the end of the day, Moshe is their uncle. He's in his 80s. Uh, these boys are younger. Like, okay, Moshe, great. You took us out of Egypt, but now that the services are going, let us handle it. And so there was something that they were supposed to do. And Moshe was commanded, but Moshe had not yet commanded the boys to do it. Yet they somehow decided to go. I don't know how they figured it out. The issue was that it's, again, this opinion focuses on the word otam. Otam means them. They, the boys, were not yet commanded, but they took action into their own hands without consulting with their father, without consulting with their uncle, their father being Aaron, their uncle being Moshe, and just did it on their own. And that was a brazen act that there was nothing wrong with the offering. There was nothing wrong with where they went. There was, not, and there was nothing wrong with how they brought it. The issue was they didn't wait for the instructions and they decided to do it on their own. And that was a, actually, it was a symptom of a much greater problem that they didn't really care to, to hear from the quote-unquote old man. This is the way their sages elaborate. Uh, they were waiting for Aaron. They said, when is Moshe and Aaron? When are they going to die so we could take the, the, the front? It seems like, you know, they were koanim. They were young boys. They were young men that wanted to take action into their own hands. But not, not a, you shouldn't be pushing away someone who's older and wiser and you have to have respect for it. So those are four opinions that I, I got, brought to you from this one line. Again, either they went into the Holy of Holies, that was what they did wrong, or they brought a foreign fire, they should have gotten the fire from the altar, but they started a new fire, or they brought an offering that was just not uh, part of the menu of the day, if you will, it was not part of the agenda or the itinerary of the day, they just made something up, or they took action into their own hands without waiting uh, for Moshe to give them the direction. And they jumped the gun, if you will. They went They went too early. They should have waited for Moshe to give them the direction to do it, but they didn't. Those are four opinions. I want to share with you a fifth opinion. Like I said, is after this section, when Aaron's two sons died doing the service, the next section says, hey, Aaron, don't drink wine or anything that intoxicates you. Don't get drunk and, doing the, and do the service because if you do, you will die. So they say, okay, it's very clear. What they had done was they had drunk wine or some sort of intoxicant before they had done the service. So there was nothing wrong with the service of what they did. The issue was is that they had drunk beforehand. And had they not drank beforehand, they would not have died. Okay, so these are five opinions as to what they did that's wrong. Uh, the, the two things that I'd like to focus on uh, first of all, let, let's just talk about the, the drinking uh, one for a second. Um, in fact, nowadays, we have what's called Berkat Kohanim, that is a service of the Kohanim. Now, it's not the same thing as a the service they did in the Mishkan, but there is a service of the Kohanim where the Kohanim blessed the people. That's called Berkat Kohanim. 
For Svaradim, it's something that we do every morning as part of our tefillah. We do it for Shacharit, we do it for Mincha. Ashkenazim, uh, outside of Israel, they don't do it. Inside of Israel, I believe uh, they do. I believe they do. I believe there's different opinions. But inside of Israel, they do. Outside of Israel, they only do it for uh, the holidays, I think. For the Yamim Tovim, they don't do it on a... They didn't do it today, for example. Um, but Svaradim, we did it this morning. So, <clears throat> which it's not a holiday and we do it anyway. But there's something important. We only do it in the morning. We only do it for Shacharit or Musaf. If it's, you know, let's say on Shabbat, we'll do it for Shacharit and Musaf. But we won't do it for Mincha. Why will we not do it for Mincha? The answer is because it's very likely that the Kohanim would have drank something of wine or whiskey or some sort of an alcoholic substance. And then if they, you know, and Mincha is you do it in the afternoon. So maybe for lunch they had something to drink. If they were to come and to do Berkat Kwanim while they had drunk, it's very severe. So much so that, okay, it's not the same thing as doing the service in the Mishkan, but still, the Kwanim are not allowed to be drunk when they do Berkat Kwanim either, when they give the blessing to the people as part of our prayers. So that's why the sages have instituted that we will do Berkat Kwanim in the mornings for Shacharit and Musaf, but we will not do it for Mincha because once it's Mincha time, people have eaten, maybe people have drank. And we don't want to enter into the business of trying to figure out who's intoxicated or not. What are we supposed to do? When it comes to Mincha time, Kohen comes forward. You have to ask him, hey, did you drink? How much did you drink? Can you walk this straight line? So the state, and you know, the truth is someone could drink before Shacharit also, right? Kohen could drink at 7 a.m. And if he drinks at 7 a.m., he would not be allowed to do Berkat Kohanim for Shacharit either. But in general, the synagogues have the Kohanim service, the Berkat Kohanim in the mornings, because most people have not drunk wine uh, uh, before services in the morning. And they don't do it in the afternoon because most people have eaten and drank. And we just don't want to enter into the game of asking who drank ate what. I will mention that on a fast day, like a Ta'anit, Ta'anit Esther, Shiva Sarva Tammuz, when there's a fast day, one thing that we do is we will indeed do Berkat Kohanim in the afternoon close to the end of the day um, as part of Mincha because it's a fast day. And so therefore it's permitted, but it, it's it's toward the end of the day. Okay. Um, this was a very elaborate. We discussed, we discussed this whole thing about the, the Kohanim. There is one more section I want to mention about the parasha this week, and that is related to the laws of kosher. The Torah at the end of the, of the, of the parasha talks to us about the different types of kosher, of how to identify different kosher species. Now, when it, when it comes to kosher, there's two important um, distinctions of wh- how you define whether something is kosher or not. Number one is the species, the type of food. How It's not really a matter of um, how it was prepared, but it's the type of food. So for example, the species of a pig is never going to be kosher. You cannot make a pig kosher. You A cow, the species of a cow is kosher. So a cow uh, is a species that the Torah would call tahor, pure, and a pig is a species that the Torah would call tameh, impure. And this species, the impure, the tameh, is no, you can't, you can't eat it ever. However, when you come to the tahor species, the ones that are pure, just because it's pure doesn't mean you can eat it. It has to be, it has to have been prepared in the proper way, which is the second category when it comes to kashrut, when it comes to kosher. The first Category is, what species are you allowed to eat? What species are you not allowed to eat? The second is, within the species that you're allowed to eat, 
How is it prepared? There has to be proper slaughtering, has to be done in the right way. It cannot have been cooked together with other items that are not kosher. It cannot have been cooked, let's say the meat cannot have been cooked together with dairy. So there's all so so just because something is a kosher species doesn't mean the food item is allowed to be eaten. For the point in uh the point to make is like a cow is a kosher species, but if you cook cow together with dairy, then you're not allowed to eat it. Or a fish. For example, the Torah defines for us what are the kosher species of fish. And those are fish that have fins and scales are the pure species that you're allowed to eat. If they don't have fins and scales, for example, uh, shrimp or lobster, then they're not allowed to be eaten ever. There's no way you could prepare lobster to make it kosher. But that's the species. But then from the other side, if the fish has fins and scales, it's a kosher species, but it, you need still need to make sure that it's prepared properly. So for example, a tuna fish is a kosher fish, but if a tuna fish is cooked in the same kitchen as part of a, uh, that pork is cooked in or something that is not kosher, then it would be a problem. So the, the Torah gives us, there's sea animals, sea animals, the sign of the kosher species is fins and scales. If it has fins and scales, it's a kosher species. If not, then it may, it's not a kosher species. It's not a pure species. But again, like I mentioned, you still you can't just say, well, therefore, it's a, tuna, it's a tuna fish, therefore, it's kosher. No, it's a tuna fish, therefore, it's a kosher species. But it needs to be prepared in a kosher way. Otherwise, uh, it still is not uh, permitted to be eaten. Then um, so we speak. We spoke about the land animals. What are the signs that make a land animal, a domesticated land animal, kosher or uh, even non-domesticated? Land animals it needs to have two signs: split hoofs. So that means if you look at its foot, it has a split, and the split goes all the way through. That's called split hoofs. And chews its cud. A cow, for example, chews its cud. It has multiple stomachs, and the digestive process. What happens is that it chews its food and it swallows it into a stomach, one of its four stomachs. It then will regurgitate it into its mouth, chew it again, and send it to the next stomach that has different types of acids and different ways to break down the process. The human stomach, for example, there's only one stomach, and the stomach can handle anything. You can throw whatever you want in there, and basically it could be grass, it could be meat, it could be steak, it could be whatever it is. The body is able in that one stomach to handle it. But the, the stomach of a cow... Each stomach tackles a different part of the digestive process. And so that um, sign of an animal that has four or has multiple stomachs, it's called chewing its cud. That is a necessary sign for a land animal to be kosher. So that includes cows, sheep, um, goats, for example, deer, a giraffe, even giraffe will chew its cud. There are some animals that have only one of these signs. For example, a pig does not chew its cud, but it has split hoofs. It's called tameh. Uh, a camel does not have split hoofs, but it chews its cud. It's called tameh, meaning it's impure, cannot be eaten. And this terminology of being called tameh, being called impure, the Torah picks this word on purpose to tell us that um, when someone, these animals that someone eats, it's not kosher, the Torah says, not only is it impure, but when one eats it, the person becomes impure. Why? The answer is because, you know, there's like this famous saying of you are what you eat. A person puts food into their mouth. This mouth gets digested into their body and it eventually gives their body energy. It's what gives the, the energy to the brain and to the muscles and to the, the organs. It gets its nutrients and its energy from the food that one eats. When someone puts 
a impure item, if you will, like uh, uh, something that's tameh, that's impure, into their body, it'll make their body impure. You are what you eat. And when someone watches what they eat and they put pure food into their, pure food into their ma- uh, mouths, then their body remains pure. One thing that there's a training process here is the process of understanding discipline. A person through the laws of kosher learns and practices discipline. There are things that I'm allowed to eat. There's things I'm not allowed to eat. There are things that I'm allowed to do. There's things that I'm not allowed to do. There's things that I'm allowed to take. There's things I'm not allowed to take. When someone is trained in kosher and understands there are certain things you can't take, you can't do it. Why? It's not No one's going to stop you, but it's not pure. It's impure for you to do this. The person is gets this training of discipline that sometimes you want something, but you say no. And that's an that's what makes us different than the animals. What makes us different than the animals is that we might we have our impulses that we could subdue and say that's not correct. We're not going to do it, even though we want to. We won't do it. An animal can't. An animal sees something, it wants it, it goes for it. But a human being has the ability, the intellect, to say this is not correct. And even though I want it, I won't do it. That's what defines us as a human being: the ability to say no. The ability to decide, to, to decide whether we want to do something or not. So um, the, the laws of Kashrut very much train us for the skill of being able to discern what it is that we want to do, what it is that we want to enter our bodies, what we want to enter our eyes, what we want to enter our ears, what we want to enter our homes. And we decide what's kosher. If it's not kosher, we don't want to enter our home. You decide your wallet, the money that you raise, the money that you make. If it's not kosher, you don't want it. This is the training process that someone learns through the laws of kosher, that there are certain things that we have to have the discipline to say no to. And again, this laws of kosher, the Torah tells us, will make us impure when we consume it because it makes up our body. But in addition to that, what we're doing by keeping the laws of kosher is we're training. We're training this discipline to be able to say no for things that are incorrect. Okay, with that, we'll stop. Have a great week, everyone. This week will be Rosh Chodesh Iyar. On Friday and Shabbat will be Rosh Chodesh Iyar. I hope everyone has a great week and Bezrah Hashem a great month ahead. Take care. Shavuot Tov Chodesh Tov, everyone.